Hey, what's up, gang? So, I know I've been missing in action for a little bit. Sorry about that. Had some health issues going on, and then I got kind of sidetracked. Have a lot of clinical hours going on, so between that and just normal life, it's been a little hard to kind of catch up on the podcast, but here we are. Better late than never, right? So, last episode, we talked about understanding the heart, and I was debating back and forth whether or not I wanted to continue on to the series or go on to something else and then come back to it later. I decided to go ahead and just do the second part to it just just to kind of get, you know, over with. So, but let's talk about the other part of the heart. So last time we talked about the mechanical function of the heart. And you know, like before, it's important to understand that there are two ways that the heart works. So, today we're going to be talking about the electrical function. This will be what coordinates the heart. To break it down simply, the electrical function is what tells the heart when to contract. It also kind of regulates the speed in which it does contract. So the cardiac cells, or also known as the cardiomyocytes, are capable of producing electricity. And that is going to be important to understanding how the heart is affected during certain disease processes. The electrical path of the heart is meant to be a closed system. So you think about your vasculature in your body, right? It's supposed to be a closed system. There's not supposed to be any open cavities or anything like that. Everything's supposed to be enclosed. And then it, you know, through osmosis, diffusion, and things like that, you lose certain nutrients, you lose certain liquids that way. But other than that, it's actually just a closed system that's meant to regulate as needed. The electrical path is the same thing. Because of that, for the heart to pump and be completely functional, it should follow the same route every time. Your electrical function of the heart should follow the route every single time, the exact same route. So let's talk about that route a little bit. I like to think of it as like a branch or a tree, you know, but instead of going from bottom to top, picture it backwards. It goes from top to bottom. So the route starts with the sinoatrial node, also known as the SA node, which is considered the natural pacemaker of the heart because it makes the heart beat at around 60 to 100 times a minute. And following that is going to be the atrial ventricular node, also known as the AV node. It also has been called the AV junction as well. Some people just call it the junction. But this node is important because it's, it's the bridge between the atria and the ventricles. So I'd argue that in most cases, this is going to be the most important one. The most important function of this junction is to decide when to let electrical impulses through to the ventricles. A healthy AV node will stop those electrical impulses if the heart is too fast or send more as needed to speed up the heart. This junction can also take over as a pacemaker if the SA node fails. And it usually beats a little bit slower. It's around 40 to 60 times a minute, give or take. Um, That doesn't mean that you can't have it faster. Um, We'll talk about that in another episode if I can figure out a way to do some visuals to make it easier for you. But moving down from the AV node, you have, it branches off into the left and right bundle branches, which is pretty much the last stop for the major pacemaking sections of the pathway. Although there can be pacemaker, or this can be a pacemaker for the heart, it's an indication usually if you're at the bundle branches and that's taking over as a pacemaker that there is an extremely severe disease to the heart um, or an extreme blockage. So the bundle branches wrap around the bottoms of the heart and branching from them is the Purkinje fibers. They do produce their own electricity as well. Every part of the heart produces its own electricity. 
And for the most part, all the cells work in unison to be able to do this job together until they're not able to anymore. So once the electrical impulse follows this path, it's used and dissolved. In the majority of cases, the heart is really great about only creating enough energy that is needed. Unlike the rest of the body, um, where, you know, you, you can store extra nutrients and minerals or you have different chemicals that you produce in your body or hormones to create different things that you need. The heart is not necessarily like that. It only produces enough to be used in that time. As these pacemakers are kind of burned out, they don't produce anymore and they don't have any storage to compensate for it. So if for some reason you burn through the SA node, the AV node, you know, going down to the bundle branches and so on and so forth, you most likely um, will, will need a transplant or something else further, a pacemaker maybe. Now, like I said, everything we talked about is within a healthy heart, right? Some diseases, like you think of uh, WPW, which is Wolf Parkinson's white, or make the heart a little bit different. It functions a little bit differently. So when you develop something like Wolf Parkinson's white, most people are born with it, but there is a small percentage of people that actually develop it later on in life. And they think it's just a developmental issue that comes on usually through your adolescence. But whenever you get this, it turns into an additional branch in the electrical system. And because of that, there will be many times where you'll have a patient that has an extremely fast heart rate that is not easily treated with medicinal interventions. Um, that is because the SA node might be the pacemaker of the heart, but because of that additional branch, you know, you can have trauma, fatigue, disease, anything. And that can cause the branch to start taking over or working in succession as the pacemaker and cause additional electrical impulses to pass through that path. In a healthy heart, and these people, not to say that they don't have a healthy heart, they do have a healthy heart, but they have an additional portion of their heart that is a group of cells that can essentially take over as the pacemaker. And for whatever reason, sometimes that just happens. Understand that these nodes in these spots in the heart, they're not a singular cell but more so a grouping of cells in that area that work with each other as the primary electrical source. To put that in perspective, the SA node is like, um, like a control center that sends messages down the line to the other centers. If the control center goes down for whatever reason, then the next one in line will just take over, right? And then they'll, they'll take over as the next control center. They'll take over lead. That's important to understanding, like I said, the electrical function. The heart is really great because it has those backups, but it doesn't have storage. So once you've burned through all of those backups, you, you don't have a functioning heart anymore. You don't have anything that could pump your blood efficiently. So moving on, when you talk about electrical function, you have to talk about telemetry and 12 leads, right? Your EKGs. So interpreting 12 leads, there is a lot of important things to search for and understand for pro you know proper recognition and treatment of a disease. Most people look at 12 leads and they look for ST elevation, and that is it for interpretation. They disregard, you know, your your augmenteds, like your, your AVR and your underlying rhythms and things like that, unless it is super, super life-threatening absolutely right now. And then for emergency medicine, that is important. But to understand how it gets to a certain point is the same thing as understanding how to get it out from that point, Right. So we got to think about the developmental issues. We have to think about what gets them to this point. 
So let's look at 12 leads, right? Let's let's think about 12 leads. If you have a picture in front of you, go over it. That'll kind of help you understand where I'm going at. But when you're looking at a 12 lead, leads one and AVL, those are going to be your high lateral positioned ones, right? That's looking at the lateral portion of the heart, but it's looking at the upper lateral portion of the heart. Leads two, three, and AVF, those are going to show the inferior portion of the heart. This tends to be the biggest and most common blockage site usually will be your 2-3 AVF and your anterior leads. But 2-3 AVF will be your inferior portion of the heart. That'll be all the way at the bottom, that strip around the bottom. Leads 1 and 2, or V1 and V2, are septal leads. That's going to be that septal region going down, splitting the top of the atrias and the middles of the ventricles, splitting straight down. Leads V3 and V4 are those anterior leads. It's looking at the front-facing portion of the heart. And leads 5, V5, and V6 are low lateral leads. It's looking at the same side as those lateral leads. And then all it is is just looking at a lower portion of it. Lateral leads are a little weird. Um, Usually if you see a blockage or you see elevation in one, you might see elevation in the other Or to know where a blockage started, you might see elevation in one, like one AVL, and you'll see in five and six, you'll see depression. Those are called reciprocal changes. Just whenever usually uh, a STEMI or a heart attack has progressed through a certain portion of time that where it originally started, most of that tissue has either died off or it's been damaged too severe to conduct electricity very well. But let's talk about something different. So AVR is similar to AVF and AVL because it's augmented. But in a normal EKG, it will always have a negative deflection. If AVR has a positive T wave, it is a very, very, very strong indicator that the patient has a severe blockage or disease. Showing a straightness or positive deflection on this lead, when properly placed, of course, if you're ever seeing a positive deflection, on this lead or you're seeing leads that are not trending properly with the other ones, then you need to make sure that you double check your lead placement because lead placement for interpreting these are going to be key. So make sure you check it. But if you ever see that straightness or positive deflection on this lead, it will indicate a much, much, much higher need for rigorous care. I mean, very quickly, I've seen this. I know this is going, even if you don't see ST elevation, If the patient presents in any way with fatigue, jaw pain, back pain, septal pain, you know, like weird, weird stuff that you haven't seen before, treat them as if they're having a full blown STEMI because most likely that is either what is happening or has already happened. Now, when EKG is taken, depression in any form or fashion, is abnormal. No healthy heart will have any type of depression in individual leads. If there is a previous history of MIs or heart surgeries, then it's common to see depression. When you do see this, it's important to gauge their current symptoms and their history. A patient with no cardiac history and presenting with fatigue and depression should be a high acuity patient in your mind. The reason for this, this patient has no previous cardiac history, right? Look at 
their current history? Do they have a history of high blood pressure? Do they have a high history of like high cholesterol, things like that? And they've just never had a cardiac event up until now. If this patient shows with depression and they say, I've been sick for three days, nausea, vomiting, couldn't get out of bed. You know, nobody's been sick in my house, anything like that. And they have been just super tired. I mean, just this gnawing, you know, gnawing malaise everywhere and just just tired. No other symptoms to lead you, you know, lead you to believe that it's strep or flu or COVID or anything like that. Always have your mind that this is going to be a cardiac patient. Always believe that this is going to be a patient that could go from zero to hero very quickly in the back of the truck or in the, the ER. Now, as far as electrical activity, there is an important thing to understand when it comes to electrical activity. All of the electrical activity in the heart runs through the exact same line. It runs through the septum of the heart. On top of the septum starts that, that tree that we talked about, and it goes down and then branches off as it goes down. Think of how your lungs look. Think of that how your lungs look and how it branches off into those those alveolar sacs. That is the exact same thing, essentially, as far as the way that your electrical function goes down. I really, really want you guys to go on YouTube or something like that, look up some stuff from John Hopkins and the videos that they have put out, and look at the way that the heart normally functions and the way that it pumps as it's going through, because it'll give you a really good idea of how it's supposed to look in a healthy person and what it might look like if it is not in a healthy person. But for all intents and purposes, if you are having any type of blockage, any type of cardiac event down in the septal region, this patient is going to be high acuity as well. Because you are having a blockage there, you know, time is tissue. Um, they say that phrase a lot. A lot of people joke about it, times tissue, times tissue. But yes, that is true, especially even more so when it comes to the septal region of the heart. If you are having that V1 and V2 blockage or you're having that elevation or you see a massive portion of depression, treat this patient very rigorously. Treat them very quickly. Start your aspirin. Start them on oxygen. Don't flood them with oxygen or anything like that. Start fluids to compensate if they need it. And if they're having pain, go ahead and consider pain meds before nitros. You want to make sure you treat this patient very quickly, very efficiently, and you get them to a cath lab as quick as possible. doesn't matter if you are a non-cath facility, you get that patient to a cath facility. You start them on a heparin drip, and you get them on board with the EMS and get them out of there as quickly as possible. If you are on an ambulance and you have the option to go 10 minutes to your community hospital or 30 minutes to a cardiac-capable facility, go to that PCI facility right away. This patient is going to be a very, very, very primed patient for a pacemaker. Because of where all that electrical activity is running down that, that center of the septum area, you will have tissue that dies off, and you will have multiple impulses that will either get blocked They'll get lost in transition going down, or they'll dissipate because dead tissue cannot conduct electricity. It cannot. You have other routes. Like I said, all of the cells in this area, it's not a single cell. It's not like a tube or anything like that. It is multiple cells that work in succession to go down these nodes and down this path. So 
dead tissue in one area does not mean that they're not going to be able to receive the impulses from up top, but you want to make sure that you start treating the clot right away because as more tissue dies, you will not be able to treat them nearly as efficiently. And like I said, they are going to be a candidate for pacing or a pacemaker. So be very rigorous so you don't have to get to that stage. Most likely, anybody that goes through having a septal MI, they are usually always going to have some type of underlying arrhythmia afterwards. It's normal to see these patients afterwards get sent home with a pacemaker, but it's not abnormal for them to get sent home on like metoprolol and things like that um, to control like AFib and, and things like that, which most of the time, if they had a healthy heart beforehand, they're most likely going to leave the hospital with a, you know, AFib or some type of junctional issue or some type of issue where multiple spots are going to start taking over. Um, just because portion of that, that line has been broken and now cells surrounding it has to take over. Now, I don't plan on going over all of the P-Wave, QRS, T-Wave, all that other stuff over here, because really you need a visual to understand those. Um, it makes it a lot easier if you have a visual on the board or in front of you that you can see. And I might consider doing something on it later. Um, I, I just feel like it's better to understand what the portions mean and the parts. So like I said, if you can get a piece of paper or if you are lucky enough to work at a service that will let you just do like a 12 lead on yourself or work in the hospital and they can just do a 12 lead on you. I know that some hospitals have regulations that you have to be admitted as a patient to use their 12 lead machines or their EK machines. So, you know, wherever you can get access to, or if you can just Google them, you know, that makes it easier to look up these rhythms to kind of understand them and know them a little bit better. But I don't want to go over all of those excessive details because like that's going to need a little bit more of a visual. Um, but what I will say, like before, these two systems are completely different, right? You can have one without the other, but just not for very long. These systems work hand in hand, although it seems very simple. It's the heart, it's muscle, it just contracts and call it a day, right? It's not that simple. And actually, when it comes to the functioning of the heart, you can have one functioning less and one functioning perfect. For instance, LVAD patients, they could have had a prior MI and their electrical system could be 100% intact, but they have so much dead tissue that it's not able to expand. You know, like talking about the mechanical function. Same thing for vice versa. You might have a relatively good heart as far as the mechanical function the tissue is relatively healthy but the electrical function has always been off some people get pacemakers at a very very young age or they have to constantly take medicine to bring down their heart rate or things like that so picture in your mind what system is being affected as you're treating these patients and then go from there now i would like to do an episode talking about some of the medications that you commonly see, like your metoprolol, your heparin, your amiodarone, lidocaine, you know, things like that that you commonly use in these cardiac patients. Let me know if that's something that you want to listen to or that you'd be interested in. And we can talk about the chemical function and how it works and everything. Um, but that's pretty much it for today, guys. I don't, I don't really have 
a lot of stuff that I wanted to go over because when you talk about the heart, it seems very simple on the surface, but actually when you break it down, there's a lot of things to consider about how it functions and you as a clinician, how you're going to treat them. So let me know if you want to go further with talking about the heart. Send me an email. All of my social medias are attached. I made a TikTok a little bit ago. It's kind of goofy. I'm not very good at the whole video thing yet. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram. I don't post a lot of stuff on there. Um, so, but it's a, it's a little bit of interpretation of kind of what I do every once in a while. Um, but check out all the social medias. Reach out to me if you have any questions or anything like that. Uh, National Registry, they're getting rid of the psychomotor soon. So if you are in EMT school or you are in paramedic school, congratulations to you guys that are going through because this next year you will not have to worry about doing any physical exam at all. So great for you. If you're in nursing school, the NCLEX is changing next year. It's going to go to a hybrid system, which is going to be similar to what the psychomotor was. Um, but it's going to be more involved with your school and not necessarily like a national board of nursing or anything like that. So if you guys have any questions, any comments, any concerns, anything that I said here today that seems off or that you looked up and it wasn't hundred percent accurate or anything like that, I'm very sorry. I will always pull all of the resources, every link that I used today, we used, um, a few from the NIH, and then, of course, using some from John Hopkins uh, to kind of give you a breakdown. Now, of course, I can only pull some information off here. I can't pull, you know, a lot just because it is it is a lot of information. Usually when they post something, it's, it's very long. Um, but just reach out if you have any questions. And check out the social medias. Follow me on anything. If you guys have any questions, reach out again. Y'all have a great day. I appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you.